Welcome to First Thought, a podcast by Galway International Arts Festival. I'm your host, Katrina Crow, curator of the First Thought Talks series. This episode was recorded in September 2020 as part of Galway International Arts Festival's Autumn Edition, which took place against the backdrop of COVID-19 and marked a return to Galway's Black Box Theatre for the first time since March. Inevitably, live events look very different this year. For some talks, we were joined by a socially distanced audience. Others went out to online-only audiences. We thank you now for joining us here on the podcast and becoming yet another member of our extended audience. The first Thought Talk series at GIAF's 2020 Autumn Edition were presented in association with NUI Galway. The grotesque murder of George Floyd, filmed by a brave 17-year-old girl, shocked the world into a fresh realization of racism and its consequences in the United States. Black Lives Matter has grown into a powerful international anti-racist movement and has considerable support here in Ireland. But we also need to look nearer to home and to articulate and hear what people of color have experienced here in this country. A panel of young Irish women of colour will talk about how they have experienced racism in Ireland, often confronted with the annoying question, yeah, but where are you really from? (laughs) Must be very irritating to be asked that. Toby Lawal, Felicia Alusanya, and Amanda Adewoli are three articulate young Irish women whose views and experiences we badly need to hear. Our moderator needs very little introduction. Roisin Ingle, Irish Times journalist and founder and producer of the brilliant women's podcast, which you can hear uh, every week. Roisin was hugely influential as a journalist and activist in the movement to repeal the Eighth Amendment, one of the great achievements of recent years. So I'm going to hand you over now to Roisin. Thank you very much. Well, I'm delighted to be here. Welcome to all of you in your very socially distanced, organised, very safe Uh, spaces there in the Black Box Theatre and welcome to everybody who's at home in whatever virtual comfort you're in. You're all very welcome. I think we're going to have a really uh, thought-provoking conversation, interesting conversation. I hope it'll be important and I hope it will leave you with not just with first thoughts but second thoughts and third thoughts as well. Later on, towards the end of this hour, we will be having chance for some questions so for not just you guys in the audience here but at home as well um, in the virtual audience you can put your comments and questions on Facebook or YouTube and there will be some of those selected to be answered so I'm delighted to be here Um, as Katrina mentioned I run the women's podcast in the Irish Times and when George Floyd was murdered uh, we really wanted to talk about the issues that it raised and these three amazing young women came on the podcast and we had quite a, a lively exchange yeah. <laughs> and I think I think wherever these people are gathered that's what happens because they're just full of passion and vibrancy which you'll see in a moment. So I thought the best thing maybe to do at the beginning um, One of the things that we'll be talking about is the experiences of racism in Ireland, but we're hoping to broaden it out to help people understand how, you know, saying you're not racist is one thing. Actively being anti-racist is a very, very different thing. And it's something that I think, I think predominantly the audience is white. I think that a lot of white people struggle with that. They want to be seen to be doing the right thing. They want to help. But in terms of what to do, uh, sometimes we don't always come up with the, the right answers and I think that's what's going to be very useful here today. So I thought if we could start with you guys sort of introducing yourselves a little bit, telling a little bit of your story and maybe a little bit about what we're talking about when we, we talk about uh, racism in Ireland, because again, it comes in very different forms. So Toby, I'm going to come to you first. I'm very grateful Toby's here because Toby, Toby's a trainee solicitor. She's in the middle of putting her thesis together. She was doing corrections on it last night. So she's a, she's a busy woman. So Toby, please introduce yourself to everyone. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Toby Lowell. I am 23 years old. And as Roisin said, I'm a pre-trainee solicitor and I'm currently finishing up my master's in international commercial law. Um, I moved to Ireland when I was six years old and I'm from Offaly. Um, And yeah, in terms of racism in Ireland, well, I guess it wouldn't have been something that I ever really spoke out about, but the George Floyd death really had a massive impact on me. And I'd say the two girls as well can testify to that. Um, And I think there was an undertone in Ireland that Ireland isn't the same as America, that America has this 
country where everyone's crazy and that only happens over there, but it happens here too. And I felt that it was time for not just myself, I felt like I owed it to all the young black boys growing, and girls growing up in Ireland to speak out about my own experiences and let people know that it's a problem here too. And it's not something we can ignore, unfortunately, because it's my reality, it's Amanda's reality, it's Feli's reality. Yeah. So um, yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay, and in terms of those experiences, because they do come in very different forms, is there anything you'd like to sort of highlight as a way? We've spoken before about microaggressions and how things aren't as always overt as, as you might think they'd be. Yeah, I definitely think there's um, kind of a lack of awareness and understanding around kind of what racism is. Racism isn't, I feel like people think racism is just somebody just calling you the N-word to your face. That, that's racism, but there's also a lot of other small little things that might just go over your head that you might think about. So I give an example. If I meet, I don't know, Adam in a pub, and Adam says, oh, hey, Toby, how are you? Um, where are you from? I'm like, oh, I'm from Offaly, Adam. And Adam's like, oh, but like, where are you actually really from? Like, and then I have to say, oh, well, um, I guess I was born in Nigeria and I, came to, and I came to Ireland when I was six. I feel I have to give a whole backstory as to why I should be accepted that I'm from Offaly. And that in itself is a microaggression. Adam might not have meant anything badly by saying that, but by following up with that question, he has immediately othered me and he might not realise that. So I feel like there's a lot of different... There's, I go on for, for days giving examples, but there's so much more to it than just bare face, in your face, overt racism. Okay, thanks yeah. very much. That's very well explained. Amanda, tell us a bit about yourself and tell us what your experiences are here. Um, pretty much the same as Toby, almost. Um, I'm Amanda, by the way, Amanda Ade. Uh, I'm 22, uh, born in South Africa, moved to Ireland when I was two years old, um, and I've lived in Kildare ever since. Um, what else is there about and me? And we're so glad the lockdown was lifted in Kildare. Ha yeah. So <laughs> delighted, yeah, just in time. Yeah, great. <laughs> <Just> Freedom! <laughs> yeah, but... Um, yeah, pretty much like, like Toby said, in terms of like actually experiencing racism, I feel like this entire time has really just highlighted, um, you know, the way people kind of see racism. And I feel like for a lot of um, white people in particular, they, like Toby said, they see racism as, you know, only those overt actions or those things that are like, you know, in your face all the time. But um, those, the li it's the little things, I think, over a long period of time, you know, growing up, constantly feeling that you're, you know, that you're, you're othered or that you're, you're different and not different in a good way because there's a way to celebrate differences and I'm all for that. But, um, you know, constantly almost putting someone in a box and saying, no, you can't be Irish because this or you can't be whatever. And, you know, it's kind of taking away from my sense of self. It's taking away from my sense of identity because for myself, like, okay, I was, I moved to Ireland when I was two. I'm now 22, so that's 20 years. So 20 years of my life has been spent fully immersed in Irish culture in, in Ireland. And I, I would feel like I'm almost more connected here than I would be anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So for someone to then question my identity and question like, you know, but you're not, you can't really be from here because you're black or because you might have been born somewhere else or your heritage is from, from somewhere else. It's kind of like, you know, it, it, impacts, it impacts a child growing up and um, it affects you, I think, in the long run. And even just taking away from those, you know, experiences when you're younger, if it feels like it's just like a constant weight yeah. and a constant burden that, you know, black people carry almost everywhere you walk into, every room you walk into. Yeah. It's like, okay, now I have to prove myself in some way, shape or form, whether, that, whether that's proving my Irishness, whether that's proving, you know, my capabilities, my intellect, my whatever that may be. It's like a constant battle um, almost just because of... Um, just people's preconceptions, I think, and things that have kind of been bred into people. And pretty much like Toby said, again, I feel like I'm really just rubbing on what you said. Um, a lot of the time, the racism that I've experienced here, it's, it's never really with like a bad intent. It's like people just not realizing that, um, you know, sometimes there's a different way to say something or there's a different way to go about something. Or um, even within the context of like, you know, Irish culture, everything's a banter, it's a joke or whatever. Um, but just, I think just people need to realise that even within a joke, there needs to be boundaries. And, you know, there's certain lines that can't be crossed even within the context of a joke and stuff mm. like that. So. I think you've outlined really well the, the thing about just walking into a room and the stuff that you carry and the stuff yeah. that you have to contend with without even opening your mouth before you even do anything. Yeah. Yeah. That I think we, a lot of people not of colour don't that take for granted 
that, that they don't carry that with them, you know. And we'll talk more about that, I think, because it's really interesting. Yeah. Felicia, what about you? Tell us your story. Um, I have to also mention that Felicia, in her amazing white shirt, you all have amazing white gear, but Felicia um, was recently appointed to the Board of Poetry Ireland, which is a huge Love achievement, so well done Love for that. Tell us a bit more about your story. Um, so, hi, my name is Felicia. I go by, I do this introduction every single time. I can't get out of it. My name is Felicia. I go by the stage name Feli Speaks. I'm a poet, performer, playwright. I've memorized it. You have to get it. Um, I'm 24. Uh, I grew up in Longford, County Longford, Longford Town. Um, yeah, very country, culty kind of environment. Um, what else do I say about myself? Um, in terms of my experiences of racism, I think one of the biggest things, um, especially since the George Floyd incident, is finding out that I didn't realize growing up that I experienced more racism than I knew of. Um, especially because you don't grow up calling everything racism within the black experience because you don't even realize what you're experiencing is racism or microaggression. Um, so I think one of the things that I came to a realization of is that you grow up with this kind of impact of trying to find where you fit. And that ends up being that you gravitate towards people that look like you within the Irish context. And that creates further segregation, that creates further detachment from your environment or the country that you're living in and that you're bound to. Um, so you, you kind of grow up even as young as two, four, seven, you grow up knowing that you're not from here, you know, um, beyond just the color of your skin. And it's really complicated relationship with culture, with heritage and race. Um, it's, again, it's intersectional. And I think that's one of the biggest things as well that a lot of people in terms of understanding what racism, racism is, like Amanda mentioned, is realizing that there's more layers than the overt and that intersectionality within the racism conversation is very important to address. And then within that, being a black woman is different experience from being a black man. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then I think one of the biggest things that I've learned as well, growing up as an adult, getting into more um, professional spaces or corporate spaces or performance spaces um, is that you feel the pressure of the good immigrant. Yeah. You feel the pressure of, you are not just you, you are not just Feli Speaks, you somehow re represent every other black person that they haven't met or that they will meet in the future. And you have the responsibility to not, can I swear? No. Um, yeah, I think you can. I mean, I, I'm going to say I'm in charge. <laughs> Close your ears online if you don't like swearing. You have the responsibility to not fuck up really. And you know, you feel like, okay, um, if I laugh too loud or if I am too flamboyant, I'm feeding into a specific um, stereotype. And there lies in how you stop or you reduce your individuality for the collective. It's just so depressing to hear you <laughs> say that. I'm, you know, I'm just yeah. thinking of the energy it must take. That's what I'm thinking as I listen to you, how draining that must be. Because on top of just being in the world, mm. there's all these other layers that you have to unpick and deal with and navigate. You were not, both of you were nodding away, but Toby, when, when, when uh, Felice, Felicia was speaking there, what, you were, it resonated with you. I actually just thought about when we just came in. Remember, we all met and we were all like, oh, you look so nice. And then Amanda was like, oh, maybe we need to like tone it down a bit because we were just so joyous. And I, I think it's actually just built into us to kind of scale ourselves back, make ourselves smaller. And like, I, it goes for every aspect of our lives in the school, in the workplace. Like I know for myself when I started my placement in one of the world's biggest aviation companies. I was the only black woman. Rap, rap. Sorry, I just wanted to. <laughs> yeah, the only black person one. in the whole company, apart from the IT guy, um, who came in every once in a while. And I remember. Tell you to turn it on again yeah, and off literally, again. Yeah, um, literally. And I remember when I got my placement, I was so happy, and I was on the phone to my dad, and I was telling him about it, and he was like, "Remember." that when you go in there, you're not just going in there for you, you're representing every other black woman and you have to make sure you keep that door open so that when you leave, they will be more inclined to hire black people. Mm. And that was the kind of rhetoric I had in my head going into space that, oh, I have to make sure I dress a certain way, yeah. look a certain way, make sure I like, even braids. I was like, God, I don't know if I can have really braids Ooh. in the aviation company because I don't want them to Ooh. think I'm quotation marks ghetto. Like, you know what I mean? There's just so much to it and I definitely think I was more, as, as, as young Irish people, a lot of people our age don't really, how would I say, it just, 
it's not their business. They don't really care. And I feel like when I even say to people that like, oh my God, I have to think about my hairstyles from going to an interview, they're like, yeah, but an interviewer wouldn't care. I'm like, you, just because you don't think that doesn't mean they won't. And we know that there are examples of racism in the workplace every single day. So it makes sense for us to have that fear going into workplace. It makes sense for us going into schools and um, having to prove yourself to teachers that you're just as smart as everyone else in the classroom. Um, going into classroom with another young black boy who looks absolutely nothing like you and having the teacher mix you up. Like it's, it's, oh. <laughs> there's so much to it, yeah. Yeah, uh, it, <laughs> it's endless and Amanda I have to bring you in as well because yeah. you were also yeah. nodding away at all of that yeah. have you anything to add to this particular strain of just the to echo pretty much what the girl said like <clears throat> it's a constant it's like an uphill it's like an uphill battle like you're constantly um you know doing something you're constantly trying you're constantly trying to just prove yourself and prove prove that you know um almost like like my, my mom would actually pretty much like police and um, like uh, sorry like Toby just said, my mom all the time, she's just like, the minute I walk out the door, she's like, just remember, remember who you are, remember who you represent, kind of thing. So it's like, not even a thing of just, I represent my family, or that I represent myself, or my family name, as my mom would say, but like, it's a thing of like, I'm entering, if, the minute I'm entering into a new space, the minute I'm, you know, I've been given some kind of opportunity or whatever, it's like, okay, I have to make sure that I go above and beyond and I have to be the best in order, first of all, to even just be recognized yeah. as being, you know, worthy of such an opportunity in the first place. Um, but then also just like Toby said, just to, for the people there to be like, oh, okay, they're actually, they're actually okay. They can yeah. actually do this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's a constant thing. It's a constant struggle and it's, it's so much hard work. And I feel like... Um, it's not until you actually sit back and reflect that you realize how much hard work it is because it's almost like you're, it's like autopilot at this stage yeah. yep. because it's like you've been navigating this system since young, from yeah. like such a young age. So now it's just like second nature. Sometimes I have to catch myself and be like, stop that, yeah. get that thought out of my head. Like, and like, you know, pull myself even up, up on some things and say, okay, listen, you don't represent everyone. You, you, t you speak for yourself. You don't, you know, that kind of thing. So it's like... It's a, it's a constant thing and I feel like it's something that needs to be, it's like, it's still evolving and we're still changing and we're still growing on both sides of the table. I feel like there's a lot of work that does need to be done. Yeah. Um, for myself personally and for society like as a whole, I yeah. think everyone well, has. Well, let's talk about what happened earlier this year. George Floyd is up there, Black Lives Matter, which was already obviously existing, but kind of got a big shot in the arm in terms of the support. Because what was different with the protests, uh, both in America and internationally, was that there seemed to be, and you probably have more inside it than me, but it seemed to be a, a lot more of a white crowd mixed in with the people that you'd usually expect, people of colour protesting racism. And that seemed to mark a change. And when we spoke shortly after um, the death, <clears throat> you certainly had that feeling. And where I first saw you was at one of the protests in... Um, Dublin, Amanda, and you were kind of up there. <laughs> tell us about that time and tell us about the sense. We'll talk about what has, what has happened since, but just mm. about the moment. And did it feel different to you guys when it happened? Um, in terms of like racism, um, for me, it was just like, ugh, again. Um, I feel like for a lot of white people, it was just like, it was a, oh my gosh, racism kind of moment. It was just like, it's yeah. like it was woken, woken up to people almost like, yeah. like, welcome to the conversation, welcome to the party. <laughs> yeah. um, but like it's better late than ever, but it's good that you know the ball kind of got rolling. But it's sad that it took something like that for it for it to happen. But then you also have to take into consideration that it's been happening, and it's in in different ways and in different forms. It's been happening. It's something. It's not new. Certainly not new. But I feel like what happened this time is just because the entirety of it, of it was captured. I think on social media, yeah. and you know. People could hear people in the background saying, please let him go, let him go. And like the complete and utter like, um, just like, I, I, I don't even want to say negligence um, of the police, but like just an almost an attitude of like, just they didn't care. Callousness. Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, yes, yeah, so I think for people to see that and for it to just like visually impact people like that, I think it brought it to life for a lot of people. And at the time for me, um, I just felt completely like, drained I think almost I just yeah. um just down over the whole situation and um then going online and then hearing you know some comments from people would be like oh thank god Ireland's not not racist or yeah. thank god Trigger. oh they're basically pointing <laughs> pointing fingers and saying oh look look at America look how bad America is look how whatever and I'm like 
it may the the Gardaí may not be you know kneeling on people's ne people's necks and killing people here, but like it's it's the same thing in a different form. It's it's still it's the same impact. It's still the same ugly system that's racism. It's just manifested in a different way over there. And I, I'm not going to put the two on the same level. Obviously, that's a whole different ballgame. But like the the intent behind it, it's still hate. It's still racism. Mm -hmm. And no matter it doesn't matter how big or small the actual act or how overt the act may be, racism is still racism and the Thank impacts you. of racism on people of colour is still the very, very same. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that's why a lot of black people, even here in Ireland, were able to like recognise the pain that the black Americans are facing because we face it here too in a different way, but it, we still feel those same emotions. It's that same like, like feeling that you're not really accepted where you, where you are or you're not really accepted you know, as being from where you are and, you know, just like Toby said earlier, being othered. Um, and I think that's why for me anyway, it just was a time where it was like enough is enough. I think it's, it had been under the surface for so long and it just kind of bubbled over, especially because of lockdown. And I think people actually had time to like process because if we were too wrapped up in the business, busyness of everything, it would have just gotten, you know, pushed aside like everything else. Mm -hmm. But I think because people actually had time this time, um, you know, they actually had to have those conversations and mm. they were just kind of faced with the ugly truth of like, this is, this is what it looks like and this is how ugly racism is. And, and Toby, what were those conversations like? So I'm assuming you had lots of more conversations with friends and people in your circle than you would have had before. But was there issues within that? Because I presume, and I think we all do it, you know, I'm not racist, I don't do anything like that. And you don't want to, so we don't want to associate ourselves with that kind of thing. But you've really articulated very well how it's a spectrum and how it's all part of the same thing. So, uh, Toby, what were the kind of chats you were having? Um, I think within my own close circle of friends, I'd be quite vocal about my experiences of racism. I would tell them, um, they're quite aware. But in my, how to say, wider say following because I went to predominantly white primary and secondary school and my in my college years I was the only black girl in my law degree um, and my, my followers on Instagram are predominantly white and I kind of felt that I was nervous but I felt like my nervousness it was inadequate in terms of making sure they understood um, what was happening they didn't just ignore it um, I think George Floyd's death for me was oh I was so angry and frustrated and just everything in between and I didn't know what avenue to how I could help or what avenue to kind of let that out in and I just thought to myself if it means that next week next month next year somebody sees a scenario that they know was racist that they know kind of makes them think eh, that's like not really that funny or that they would actually stand up for a person because mm -hmm. when you're a black person you're experiencing racism and you're in a situation where you are with other people who I'm sorry, we all know when something sounds a bit iffy. We all know when something's not, it's borderline kind of wrong. But as Irish people, we don't want to be the awkward one. We don't want to make a scene or call it out. When you're the person that calls that out, you're basically defending me. Like you're, you're showing your support. And this is where it comes into, what can I do? You have to show that support. It's not just about hoping it slides and the person won't say anything else about it. it it's, it's not about that anymore. And I think this year has been a really big eye-opener for everyone that it's not okay to kind of sit on the sidelines and watch. Yeah. And I feel like that's what a lot of us have been doing for the past few years. Um, that's why there's a rhetoric that Ireland isn't a racist country because a lot of people watch on the sidelines, see what is happening and ignore it or see what is happening and don't know how to address it. So they just kind of, you know... Toby, you know, is that racist? Because I... But, you know, the more I think about this, the more I think is what's really important when we get to the what can I do bit yeah. is that we start with ourselves. And I would say that we are all uh, white people in Ireland in some way racist, right? That's what I've come to the conclusion of. Now, it's, it's a very big thing to say because I'm, you know, I'm not speaking for everyone in this room, yeah. but my own thoughts are. And is it important, do you think, that white people start with themselves first and look at that and explore that? Because otherwise, everything else we do seems to be a bit yeah. superficial or fake because we want to go around going, I'm not a bad person, yeah. I'm not a bad person. I, but yeah. acknowledging your racism doesn't mean you're a bad person necessarily. No, it just no. means you've been part of a very, very... Um, you know, all pervasive system that has made you that way. Yeah. Even like I say with kids, racism isn't something you're born with. You learn it at home, in schools. And I think 
a lot of people, when they grow up in an environment where they are taught that, oh, we don't, you know, talk to black people or whatever, they don't even realise themselves until they're older that it's wrong. And I definitely think it's a case of we're all human beings, we make mistakes. Um, I think we shouldn't beat ourselves up over it, but understand that you had that mentality, understand why it needs to change, and understand what you need to do in order to not perpetuate that, how would I say, system anymore. Don't have kids and teach them to stay away from the black people in the classrooms or to not take the time to pronounce their name properly in a room. There's just, there's so many little things to it. And I definitely think now, especially, there's almost, how would I say, a woke competition amongst white people in order to kind of show that, oh, I'm not racist or I support black people or, and I think that, that's not it. We're not asking you to come up to me on a night out as I've experienced and said, oh, Toby, I'm so sorry you've experienced that, but I'm not like that. Okay, thank you for telling me that, but that, that does add nothing to me. So why are you telling me this? And so I think people need to scale it back, think about themselves, think about their surrounding family, because I feel like the family unit is so important and we learn so many things growing up. It's fundamental to who you are as a person. And I definitely think it's starting with you, your family, your close loved ones, and even just sitting down and having a discussion about it. I know a lot of people told me when I was posting regularly that it was the first time they'd ever actually spoken about race with their family. It's never been something they ever brought up because it, not that they didn't understand it, but they just didn't know what to say about it. And I definitely think these past few months, the conversation has been going and it's, it's a good thing. It really is a good thing. But at the same time, I definitely think people need to be wary that it's not like telling the world every day that, you know what, I'm not a racist person because that's not really what it's about. You know? Felicia, do you have anything to add on the Woke Olympics? I think we're all very aware of it. Maybe some of us in this room and at home online are guilty of it because it's a very maybe natural instinct to want to not put yourself with the terrible people. But that means you're shying away from other stuff, I think. I think in general with racism, it's more of a lack of empathy. Mm. And then with Woke Olympics, it's a projection of your ego. So neither spaces allow for the black body or for the black person to be seen as visible mm -hmm. and as human. Mm. So if you use a black body or a black person as a symbol or a moment for your ego to blossom, yeah. <laughs> it's detrimental to the human. And in, by that effect, you don't even see me as human. Yeah. And then with, with not even understanding or not being able to see racism as it's happening, it's, I, I don't even think it's enough to say that, um, oh, the video was, and this is not even discounting what you're saying, yeah. but the video being, or I think it was Amanda that said, the video being full capacity of seeing the beginning and the end of how brutal the, the execution was, because that's what I would call it. It's like, this is not the first video. Mm -hmm. Th this is not even probably going to be the last, unfortunately. Yeah. But the fact that you had time to be home and to view the whole video and to digest it and not have somewhere to go after that to get your mind off it is, again, a lack of empathy. I don't think you should have to see somebody die yeah. to know that they're experiencing racism. That is scary. Like, it, that's brutal to, to have to be satisfied in your understanding of racism by the execution of a black body. Oh so to not see me on a day-to-day having to wrestle with the bus driver to get on, you know? Mm -hmm. And then it's the execution that would, oh yeah, God, that's so bad. Like, yeah. it's unfortunate. But I think, um, and it's the first, like I've only just learned this as well myself. Uh, I was watching a video about a woman that um, got married on a, a slave plantation. And um, she was like, and she had a moment where she admitted, she was like, it really is a lack of empathy. I didn't have to think about it, so I didn't. And yeah, I just brought that up to just mention that, that I think reconciling and owning that moment that, yeah, I really didn't care. And beyond caring, I didn't feel for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what I was trying to get at because we've, I think a lot of us have had moments like that. N not just not speaking up, as you described, calling things out, seeing things that we didn't say things about, but also just generally not making it something really important in our life, as a human rights issue, as something that we care about, that we talk to our kids about, that we talk to our friends about, that, that is a live issue and not yeah. just something that comes up. Yeah. Um, because I think what it is is that people of colour, it's their work. It seems to be your work to kind of uh, yeah. fight when actually you're not the people really, yeah. I, I sort of think, that should be doing that. 
No, I definitely don't think so. And I think even just speaking out about racism, like I had even friends say, oh, you're an activist now. Um, no, <laughs> I'm not an activist. Um, I'm a black person who cares about these issues and has to talk about them because they're my lived experiences. They're my daily experiences. Mm. Um, I think, like Feli said, there's just a lack of empathy. And I feel like sometimes you almost have to, how would I say, tell people how traumatic your experience is for them to be like, oh gosh, isn't that yeah. so sad? Isn't that yeah. so awful? It shouldn't take that. If I tell you I experienced racism, you take that face bad. I shouldn't have to go into details and give you all the nuts and like, you know, bolts of everything I've experienced as a young black woman in Ireland. Um, and I definitely think that is a huge issue. And even uh, like... There's, like, my head is just swimming now because when we, like, even ra when we think about racism, there, even, like, direct provision, for example, that's another thing we're going to go into, there's such a massive lack of understanding, lack of awareness. People just don't care about it. And, like, I definitely think that is the same thing I say about the lack of empathy. I think Irish people, in a sense, if it doesn't bother you or your immediate family, it's not really a big issue that you need to, mm. like, you know, bother yourself with. But it is, unfortunately. We're, we're a small country. Ireland's only, what, 4, four million? 4.4 4. 4. 4 million people? Like, like <laughs> we're, it's such a, we can make such a big impact. Like, mm. all of us can, in our own small ways. It doesn't have to be you out with a loudspeaker professing that, you know, you support black people. You can do that in your bedroom, in your place of work, standing up for people. Um, and I think in, like, it's just so systemic because even in like, recruitment and stuff, you have people going into their Gardaí who are racist, people who are in HR are racist. So if you, ex if you experience something that's horrible and your HR manager is also racist, where are you going to go? You're once again in a little box and there, yeah. you, there's no way out. Mm. Like that, uh, that, yeah. I think Ireland also has a history of their relationship with black bodies and black people. And I say black bodies because... It's beyond the scope of gender, so it's yeah. our bodies. I think Ireland has an interesting relationship with black bodies in terms of um, humanizing us via the troco box. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And Raising money for the black babies, and yeah. you were there, on, you were, there was a black baby on the bus. Literally, going, on the bus. Send that away to, to the, and that, that and when was you, our frame of reference. Yeah. And when the country starts being quote-unquote, flooded with these black bodies <laughs> that they helped maybe 20 years ago. Mm. And, and honestly, it, it was amazing because it was through Concern, it was through Trokra, during Biafra in Nigeria, et cetera, et cetera, history lessons. Um, but <laughs> that whole, the Trokra box baby arriving into the country means that you have a set rule, principle, and ideology that... Um, goes with the black body. And so when you, when you see them in spaces that you don't expect them to be, mm -hmm. we can feel your body flinch. We can see you, oh, how did that body get into yeah. this space that I am also in, <laughs> mm -hmm. that I also have, I, so we're on the same social class, how? Yeah. They, and you feel them look at you like, how'd you get here? Mm -hmm. And like the, the ladies and I had a moment backstage where, um, <laughs> And this, this is something you just grow up with. They had their little like, oh, can I bring my bottle on stage? Can I do this? And I'm like, and I had to do that thing of, you deserve to be here. Like you are allowed to be here, but you grow up feeling like you don't own the spaces you earn your way into. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Sorry. Even I think, <laughs> I think we should round of applause. I just think <laughs> it's, uh, it's so good. Mm. I think you hit the nail on the head and the black bodies. Even when you were using that earlier, I was thinking, no, oh, why is she saying black bodies? I totally understand now. Amanda, you were nodding again. Have you anything to add to this particular part? And the <laughs> you actually just put it in. Literally, like, perfect. Because you said something really interesting recently. I'm not sure which platform. You're on a few different platforms. And I saw <laughs> on one of your platforms that you said 2020 was like a sort of a detox, that all this stuff yeah. that was sort of under the surface there for a long long time it's sort of all bubbling up yeah. and you know something is happening do you have a sense given everything we've spoken about and and George Floyd and the moment that we're in is this a hopeful time without wanting to be you know too glass half full but do you sense there's something changing um I genuinely do like naturally I'm, I'm already a glass half full kind of person like I always try to be um but um I think the difference with this time is um, I would like to be hopeful that it's the intentionality behind everything. And I feel like people are, you know, realizing that there has to be genuine intentionality, not just 
performative support. And I feel like the more that performative support is being called out, um, like I'm seeing, the more that it will hopefully transform into actual support and actual change. Um, but yeah, the difference I feel like with this time is that, you know, people are actually finally becoming more intentional hopefully about their actions, about their, their words, about the way that they carry themselves. And, you know, like Toby said earlier, it's, you know, when you're met with like, oh, I'm not racist, I'm not like those people, I'm not whatever, people generally think that, you know, the opposite of, like, the opposite of racism is just, you know, being not racist, <laughs> which it's not. It's not, it's not. Like, people are trying, thinking that that's the furthest distance from racism <laughs> that they can be. But it's not like, define not racist. What does it mean to not be racist? I, I think that's where it now goes into the space of like actually becoming actively anti-racist. And the, the key word for me there is actively. So it's not just a black square on Instagram. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not just a, you know, having one conversation with someone or whatever, it's active, so it's ongoing. And I think that's the part that people don't realize. And like I said, like this year has been a detox year. So all the things that have been there, all the, the stuff that has been like bubbling underneath the surface, of, the surface of society, the things that, you know, they've been there and people kind they know about it, but like we don't really want to address it or we haven't really had time as a society to address it. I feel like we're faced with that time now and now is actually the time where, okay, the stuff is there, it's on the surface, but now we have to put on our grafting boots and actually, you know, clear it out. We have to actually put in the work to, to not, like, you know, go back to where we were just, like, a couple of months ago. A month mm. ago. So I think, yeah, the key word is being actively anti-racist and actually, you know, implementing it in your everyday life. Being ac actively anti-racist, it's a lifestyle. It's not, just, it's not just a thing that you do. It's not just whatever. It's, it, it goes as deep as your thoughts. It goes into, you know... Your, your, your actions, your, where, where your heart is at for me, I think that's actually the condition of the heart. And yeah, like, I think you pretty much nailed it on the, on the head Can there. I it's just empathy. Add, it's an empathy thing. Yeah, go for just it. Just to add that with anti-racism, mm. like, I, I really like that word. But also anti-racism is not the co-option of black spaces, nor the centering of yourself in black spaces. Mm. It, like, because mm. often you, you get that, kind of like, okay, I want to do, and it comes with good intentions, like I want to do more, mm. or I want to support more, and then you enter spaces and you bulldoze through it, and the black bodies or the black people are like, oh, this is not feeling helpful. Um, so that's a, another really like, how do I say, tender line yeah. Yeah, to, to thread. Yeah. And I think, what, I think one other thing is that as a white person, I think being patient with yourself is so, so important because being patient with yourself means that you will take more of your time to learn what to do than the charge and the energy and the emotion of this is the right thing to do and then pushing through spaces. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, Jane Fonda has a book out soon. She's an incredible woman. She's 82 and she's written this book. Of, she's, I actually interviewed her recently. I can't believe I know the whole of the story. But anyway, she has this book out about climate change, which is really quite amazing and it's called what can I do and I was just thinking listening to you do you think that's a more active version of the not racism which sounds quite passive you know not being racist is like you can just you can sit there and know you're a good person but nothing really has to come from that asking yourself what can I do and asking yourself that like quite regularly in terms of this whole issue do you think that's a good question and then I just wanted to ask what can we do, or is that too big a question? Is there some practical stuff that you would like to share that you think might be interesting and insightful for, for people listening? One, I'd say support black businesses. Mm. Yeah. That's a big thing. Um, it's also something I'm trying to actively do myself because I think I forget even to actively put money in black people's pockets because they're already competing on a stage that is disadvantageous. Ooh, girl. You struggled with that word. <laughs> this advantageous <laughs> to them. Um, so yeah, that's one thing I try to do. Put actively put money in black businesses, in black pockets, and help equalize somehow the economy. You know. Okay. Anybody else got a um, what can I do thing? I would say leaving space. Leave space in whatever way, shape, or form that might be. Whether it is like opening space in, um, you know, in a professional setting. Um, whether it's supporting a black business, whether it is, you know, just leaving space for black people to just be people and not even just be quote-unquote like black people, just leaving space for emotions, leaving space for just, just 
just the humanity, I think, of people and remembering that, you know, people are human um, at the end of the day. Um, for me, that, that's, that's the major thing. And I feel like once we kind of just leave that space and allow people to just be human, eventually it's gonna, it will break down the barriers that I feel like have been put up systemically to um, almost separate people. Um, and once we kind of regain that sense of humanity, um, and compassion and empathy, I think, for one another. Um, then comes the actual work of like, okay, now we need to go into the um, into the into workplaces and see why you know in a company of 1,000 people there may only be one minority or two people of color or whatever. Like just you know equalizing equalizing the society, um, leaving space for people to be people, um, and just in your everyday life calling out racism when you see it like That's what i was gonna say just sorry <laughs> <stole it> today. <laughs> calling it out like there is no like quick fix for racism there is no um, magic wand that's gonna just wave and racism will just disappear overnight it takes work it takes being intentional it takes you know actually each day being conscious and making decisions and catching yourself even sometimes in certain thought patterns yeah. and you know like say oh where did that come from i need yeah. to get out of there and just recognizing that and i love what felicia said about being patient with yourself I, like that's that's really really true it's so good um because it's not gonna it's not gonna be overnight it's gonna it's gonna take work and i feel like if people are actually intentional about it then it is something that as a society that we do need to work towards and that we can work towards Toby, would you like to expand on the calling out and, and standing up for people when you hear something that's not right? Um, yeah, I, I feel like when you say call out racism, it sounds like you're going into an army or <laughs> battle or something. Like, it's not about that. I think calling out racism is if you hear something that sounds microaggressive, just ask, ask the person, oh, um, what do you mean by that? Like, or what made, you, what made you think that? Or can, can you tell me the meaning behind that? When somebody says something that is racist or microaggressive and they're confronted, they have to question themselves. They have to question their own thoughts. They have to question why they would even think it, not even talk of saying it. Um, I definitely think that is what I mean when I say call out racism. I don't mean you have to attack people or make people <laughs> feel small. And I think that's, I've even made that mistake where if I hear something racist, I'm just so annoyed by it that instead of, how would I say, educating in a gentle way, I'd be like, why, why would you say something like that? But then I think about it, I'm like, this person, is a human being at the end of the day. Maybe they might not have bad intentions and might not realize how hurtful it can be. And they, obviously, as a white person, they might not real, obviously realize what I experience on my day-to-day -day basis. So it's being, as Amanda said, and Feli said, gentle with myself and other people as well. Um, but I definitely think calling it out is a big thing that we need to do because it is just an Irish mentality of, as I said before, not being awkward, not wanting to make a scene. And that is where the problem lies because when you don't want to be awkward and save yourself, you're letting somebody else be basically bait um, having to defend themselves having to experience it and it's just an awful feeling and I've been there time and time again and it's not nice um, so yeah definitely I do think it's a big thing that we need to do is just to call it out. Mm. And Toby you mentioned direct provision earlier and yeah. I know it's uh, something very important for you that people realize exactly what it is and, and do pay attention. You made a video recently um, yeah. to kind of do that to just put it in very simple terms and explain to people. Um, I definitely knew just from my own presence on Twitter and Instagram that direct provision is something that a lot of Irish people either are confused about or don't really get the system. Um, and for me, when I heard about the um, hunger strike in Skellig Star, um, that for me was another trigger point. So I was like, oh my God, here we go again. Another thing happening. And it just made me, it just brought back all the thoughts of Ireland isn't as bad as America. Ireland isn't racist. And I'm like, hello, look, look at what is happening. 32 people are on hunger strike in first world country like what I'm sorry it, it just it was just too much and I just was thinking to myself what can I do to help what can I do to raise awareness about this what can I do to make people just listen and see that there's people in their country that are suffering and I just can I just say first of all that the big thing for me is that caring about direct provision does not mean you don't care about other issues. You can be just as annoyed and irritated by the homelessness crisis as you are about direct provision. One does not have to outweigh the other. They can both be on the same level in your minds. That's important. And I definitely think when I put out this video, a lot of people were like, but what about the homelessness crisis? What about climate change? I'm like, what about uh, 
They're important too. I never said they weren't, but this is what I'm passionate about. And this is what I want to speak out about. And my video was just basically, it was a six minute kind of short introduction just to give people a basic understanding about what system is in just plain simple English. And even just the difference between an asylum seeker and a refugee. Um, because a lot of people are like, why don't they just work? I'm like, hello, they can't. Like, you know, there's just, there's so much to it. And I just felt like people had no basic understand some people had no basic understanding of what it was and that was my intention and it kind of how would I say went kind of went everywhere really and so many people it was called five minutes five euro five people um, and so I basically wanted people to educate themselves about direct vision for five minutes be that looking at Massey's website Massey are amazing they do such great work to support asylum seekers and they have so much information on their website that is so accessible to everyone no matter your age no matter your race um, and I kind of, I wanted people to educate themselves, educate their families, donate to Massey, um, and the funds that we actually raised, we raised over 7,000. They're going towards an education fund for students in direct vision, which for me is brilliant because there's such a practical impact of it. And as well, spread it to five people. And it kind of, how would I say, rolled over, which is brilliant because I even thought to myself, if nobody went beyond that video, in that five, six minutes, they knew about the system. They knew there was something in Ireland that was going on that might not be right at the government and might not be addressing on a day-to-day. But yeah, and I definitely think direct provision is another huge aspect of racism in Ireland that people don't understand and aren't really ready to acknowledge it because it's inhumane and it, it's really, really wrong. And I think to look at other countries that are going through war and, you know, suffering and to think, God, isn't that awful? No, 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 no. We're also perpetuating the same thing in Ireland and we need to address it. And like, yeah, that was, yeah, good. Thanks very much, Toby. And you brought up an interesting thing because you mentioned Massey there, who are a brilliant organisation. Maybe you could talk a bit about some resources because I think, again, people are like, what, what can I read? What could I learn about? Again, not your job, but we're here, we're talking about it. Um, because there's the um, Irish Network Against Racism, which um, did a study actually recently and showed that the incidence of racism in the first quarter of this year had doubled on the, the year before. So this is a, a growing issue. And actually, we saw that um, Chinese woman uh, being thrown into the canal uh, yeah. there not so long ago in August, you know, and that was horrific. But these things are, are going on. So do you have any um, resources or things that you think might be interesting for people that they might not have come across um, before? So I'd say, I think it's called doris.org. Um, and they talk about a lot of human rights issues and one of the issues that they um, support and do a lot of work on is direct provision. Um, to, oh, how do I go into this without getting emotional? <laughs> Take a breath. <laughs> direct provision centers are supposed to be, because I've, I realized we didn't define it actually, yeah. they're supposed to be temporary holding centers or temporary living centers for um, asylum seekers. And temporary um, in a living situation would be three months to six months. But on average, um, an asylum seeker living in direct provision would stay there between, on average, two years. Yeah. That's scary. You've just left your country, your home of residence that you're unable to live in anymore. You've come into a country that's supposed to be Ooh. I'm going to take my time, so you're going to wait. Take your time. We've got time. We've got a time. country that's a supposed dream. to be supportive. That's five minutes. Okay, ten minutes. And encouraging and a place of milk and honey or, do you get what I mean? Yeah. And you get confronted with a situation where you're not home and you can't create home. Yeah. So you're robbed of home. You're robbed of being able to even cook. You can't cook your own food. Yeah. You can't visit your friends. You're in spaces or parts of Ireland where transportation is very, very limited. You can't get to many places very quickly. Um, or your bus transport system is limited. And that means you have two travels, maybe in the morning and in the evening, and you're right back. Can I just so add in there as well? You can't have a driver's license. As you can't have a driver's license. It limits your um, education. It limits your mobility. It limits your social circles. Um, and on top of that, um, you get 20-something euro a week, I believe. Um, adults are 39, but students are 20-something a week, yeah. That, that is, I don't know how, I, how do I say, I don't know how else to say the facts 
in order to, I'm not to garner sympathy for these people, not at all. Mm -hmm. These are just the information that we have and that you could look up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's just... No, I, thank you very much. Yeah. I totally understand the emotion and the way you put it. It's the trying to find a home and not being given one when you get there and thinking and that this is going to be a welcome, this is going yeah. to be a safe harbour and that's what you're kind of yeah. confronted with. I'm just going to remind people, we're, we're good, we can ask, you're going to ask a few questions if there's anyone here in the audience or online as well. And we might do that because we've only a few minutes but we'll come yeah. back to you, Toby. So if there's anyone in the room who has a question, we've got a microphone that will be sort of socially, distantly extended to you. <laughs> I don't know if it's on a broom or what way they're doing it. But if you could raise your hand, then someone can come to you with the microphone. Is there anybody here who wants a question? You don't have to, we're not forcing you, it's all right. Um, otherwise, we may have some questions online. Is there anything coming through? Oh, I think that... somebody has that. Oh, there's somebody here? Okay, great, sorry. It's very hard to see. Oh, yeah. oh it's, it looks like a broom, though. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, could you say your name and just ask your question then? From Joanne online and she has a comment and a question. So Joanne says, my son is black. As a white mother, I struggled so much watching the flinch, as Felicia described it, in response to him. People not treating him like a child. But I know that I am also racist, that it's a symptom of growing up in a monocultural society. Yeah. Massive respect for these women, their clarity and compassion. So the question is, I think that deserves a round of applause. Yay! <laughs> so the question from Joanne is, I'd like to know how they keep themselves well in the middle of everything coming out at the moment. That's Joanne a... says, I find it very hard and I have the privilege of switching it off and not dealing with it every day. That's Thanks, a great Joanne, question. That yeah, self-care, I suppose, is, yeah. the, is the word. Maybe we'll go around all of you. Toby, starting with you, how, how do you... Um... I think I struggled with that at the start because I felt like I had to be doing something all the time. I had to be involved. I had to be reading every day about what was happening in the news. And it got to a point where my own mental health kind of deteriorated a little bit. And I realised that I was getting so consumed that I really wasn't looking after myself anymore. And I was constantly just being upset. And I think... I got to the stage where I was like, no, 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 turn off the phone. You don't have to, you know, constantly be fighting a battle for somebody. Like, it's okay to take a step back. It's okay to not consume negative media all the time. And I think that's a really important thing for black people, especially because I think when we see another suffer, we feel it too. So we feel the need to, how would I say, help or try to, I don't know, raise awareness. But I think you have to remember that you are only one person. I think that's something I've learned in the last four or five weeks that mm. I have a life too and like it's okay to take a step back. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It doesn't mean I don't care. It just means that I need to look after myself. Mm. Yeah. And maybe you might talk here about your competition that you're involved in because that's something to do with your other life. Um, oh yeah, I'm kind of, a, how would I say, a jack of all trades. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm actually taking part in Miss Bikini Ireland. I'm a finalist. But yeah, I'm... I'm I'm a bit of it all, um, and I'm also doing my exams next month to become a solicitor. So I'm I'm a busy woman, but um, yeah, vote for her, Miss <laughs> Yeah, I do. Vote. How do you look after yourself, mind yourself? Because you are really in this, and I see you on uh, you know Twitter and Instagram, and you're 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 giving your all all the time. It seems. Yeah, um, it's 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 tough. Yeah. Um, I'm about really emotional. <laughs> you know, no, it's it's a thing of like. You feel, like for me personally, I just, I feel so deeply about everything, regardless. Like, I feel so deeply for just people as a whole. Um, very, I'm a very emotional person, naturally. So, um, I think the, just the intensity of everything and being constantly fed, you know, being bombarded with these images and this media and then people's opinions, people's wrong opinions and, you know, everything, it, it can get heavy. Um, it can get a lot. And... I think for me, I just, I have to, it's something I'm constantly reminding myself of, so something I'm constantly working on, is like just literally remembering also, like, as much as I like to say, like, to tell other people, like, we're human, let's see each other as humans, I need to remind myself, okay, you are also human, um, and, you know, you need to actually take time out mm -hmm. from everything, and not, like, it's not a thing of, like, I'm not going to carry the whole world on my back and you know fix racism in Ireland because it's mm -hmm. not possible it's a it's a thing that we all need to do together and that's why I'm so passionate about unity I feel like that's mm. um the only way that anything is ever going to be revolved uh, resolved um but yeah I just just take time I write I write a lot um uh, or just like 
just talk to myself. Because <laughs> literally, I have full, full on conversations. And Amanda has a podcast as well called Boxed. Yes, Boxed so Out. B-O-X, the Boxed Out. Yeah, B-O-X, apostrophe D. Yeah, yeah. The Boxed Out podcast. So, yeah, so everything just gets thrown in there. So just okay. talk or write or whatever. So that's what I Excellent. Felicia, do you mind yourself? Do you give yeah. empathy back to yourself? Yeah, I'm, so I have this do one thing and leave it alone rule. Do one thing, then leave it alone. Okay. So what I did is, um, so for instance, I wrote a piece of poetry, put it in a video, that should be out soon, did one thing, there, done, left it alone. With direct provision, did t-shirts with a, an incredible group of people, wrote a piece about direct provision, put it on the back, put Mosny Center in front, because Mosny used to be a, a summer camp. It did, it was like Butlins, you know, uh, yeah. And so we crossed out, okay, the summer camp part, direct provision center, that's information. Done one thing, sold T-shirts, done. <laughs> Left it alone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the only way I can stay sane. Yeah. yeah. If it's a different topic or it's marching, did do this video, rant on Instagram, did one thing, leave it alone. Mm. Um, and that's how I take care of myself. Um, I try not to feel like, and this is something I find with black women a lot, um, we are the, you have to do everything, you have to take care of everybody, you have yeah. to protect this person, you have to fight for her and fight for them, fight for people that don't look like you, that look like you, that <laughs> smell like you. We do it all the time. It's exhausting. Yeah. Do one thing, leave it alone. Yeah. Um, also, just watch a lot of comedy, man. Yeah. <laughs> I love comedy. I, I just plug on comedy and just watch people just mm. make me laugh. Did one thing and I've left it alone. Oh, yeah. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we can all take that on. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's really good advice. Uh, Katrina, how are we doing for time? Three minutes left. I think we should maybe, unless there's any questions in the room or any really burning things anyone wants to say, can we just maybe have a final word from all of you? We've, we've talked about a lot. It's been very wide. But I think for me, listening to you, and I hope for everyone in the room and at home online as well, just that we just need to be more active. We need to stand up more. We need to not be passive. We need to not watch things happening and touch about them and say, isn't it terrible? Yeah. Because that's not going to change anything. So maybe on that theme or on any other theme you'd like, we'd have one last word from each of you. Toby, any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, a big thing for me is just be aware of what's happening around you. Um, educate yourselves. It doesn't have to be a thing where you have to read a book about racism or, you know what I mean? Watch the news. Um, like I said, do your research. Massey, Doris, Lumini, they have so many resources online that you can read about. You can donate to your local DP centres. Um, there's little things you can do in your day-to-day life that don't have to be, how would I say, um, out there, but you know yourself that you're doing your bit to do a bit of good. And I feel like as human beings, we all have that inherent feeling of wanting to be good to others and help others. And I think you should think about that when it comes to the black people in your community. Um, we're also human like you. But unfortunately, we do have daily battles that you don't experience. Um, and I think the big thing for me is acknowledging that. Um, oh, I'm getting emotional. We haven't really spoken about white privilege a, a lot, you know? And I think that is something that oh. we need to talk about more. It's okay. I can't come and give you a hug, Toby. This is a problem. But I'm hugging you. Here. Social distance hugs. Okay. Um, but yeah, um, just be compassionate. And um, just watch what you say. Um, think about things before you say them. And... Um, um, yeah, just just show love to people. It just really that's that's kind of yeah. yeah. Oh, oh god. god. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean it is emotional, so it's completely understandable. You know, like I said earlier, I don't know. It's the draining, it's the exhaustion, and it's the mm -hmm. constant nature of it as well. Mm. Um, Amanda, um, I would say just okay. take the responsibility off black people to, um, you know do all the work when it comes to racism mm. um, and you know actually try in some way shape or form get involved whether that be educating yourself whether that be you know having those conversations whatever it is within your sphere of influence do what you can do it doesn't need to be this huge you know magnificent magnificent thing like it's it starts with a small thing like real change starts at your dinner table it starts in those little things in those you know intimate moments in those small times and i think if everyone takes on that responsibility that's how we actually have lasting change and lasting impact like as a whole um, and yeah just learning to see people for people like at the end of the day fundamentally we all want the same thing we all are we all want to have you know this um, just cohesive environment for everybody and I think it's it's possible to have um, you know a cohesive and mutually beneficial 
um, environment for everyone and that kind of society for everybody. And just because someone doesn't look like you doesn't mean they don't want the same things as, things as you. Yeah. Mm. Um, I feel like, yeah, just see people for people, be compassionate and do what you can. Okay, final word to you, Felicia, before we leave these lovely people and thank you all for such an incredible event. Of course. Um, my final word would be look at beyond yourself. Just, just step outside of Sinead. <laughs> I keep coming for Irish names. I know. Last time <laughs> it was Seamus, now yeah. and Sinead. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. But like, step outside of you and empathize. That's it. Just step outside of you and empathize. If you want to make a funny joke or you want to, make, you want to be silly and you're not even trying to be a racist, just take a minute. <laughs> And step outside of Sinead and be like, would Felicia appreciate this? <laughs> yeah. That's all. Yeah. Okay, listen, they're amazing women. I told you they were at the beginning. I didn't lie. Felicia, <laughs> Amanda and Toby, let's give them a huge, huge round of applause. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to First Thought. For more, visit the Talks page on Galway International Arts Festival's website, giaf.ie.